There's a frightening scene in the middle of the last movie of the Lord of the Rings cycle. And in this scene, these two little guys, hobbit-like tiny little guys, are trying to make their way across this devastated landscape to sneak into the castle of the main villain. And if you haven't seen the movie, the, the main villain is represented by this giant all-seeing eyeball. It's frightening, it's terrifying. And the eyeball casts its light around the whole world to see everything. Nothing can be hidden from the eye of evil, okay? And the good guys are hoping that these two little guys who you can barely see can sneak in unseen. And so they're hiding behind rocks trying to, to keep from being seen by this searchlight that roams everywhere. Most of us, during most of our lives, would prefer not to be unseen, would prefer not to have folks look past us. We, we don't want to be invisible to the people who are around us most of the time. I mean, how does it feel if you feel like you're invisible? Who looks past you without even taking notice? Or there's a flip side to this, of course, who do you look past without taking notice? Have you ever felt unseen, unnoticed, not considered, passed by? If someone said to you, you never even seemed to notice me, would, would you be surprised by that? And how do you even know if you're the one who's just looking past people because you just don't notice? John the Gospel writer tells a story about a man who notices people, who stops to speak with people, who even seems to have time for and actually like people who others consider incidental or not worthy of notice. This is the Gospel of John, and it is the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. John 4, 4, and I'd invite you for, to stand for the reading of the Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan town called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. Jesus responded, if you recognize God's gift and who is saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, sir, 
you don't have a bucket and the water is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water again. Jesus said to her, Go, get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You are right to say, I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands, and the man you are now with isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming and the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In this familiar passage, Jesus is on a journey. And he is going through Samaria. Most Jews took an alternative route. Generations before this particular story is told, the returning Jews from exile rejected an offer of help from the Samaritans to rebuild their city. They thought that the Samaritans, who were Jews who had intermarried with other tribes, were racially and religiously impure. This division created by the Jews was an act of judgment against the Samaritans. It was not particularly healthy. Therefore, the Samaritans built a rival temple on Mount Gerizim since Jerusalem was now in enemy territory. The Hasmonean king of Judea, Jewish king, in 108 BC destroyed the Samaritan temple. So you can imagine there's no love lost between these two groups. And I think to really understand the significance of the story, you have to remember that women lived at a lower level of importance in this day. In fact, in this day, it was assumed that all Samaritan women were automatically ritually unclean and impure. So if any one of them touched you, you became ceremonially impure. You couldn't touch a Samaritan woman. And in fact, verse 9 of this passage is actually literally rendered, not that Jews and Samaritans don't have anything to do with each other, it's literally Jews and Samaritans don't share the same vessels. 
right? You can't take something off a Samaritan's plate and eat it. You can't take a sip of their water. It's not kosher. It's not right. You can't do it. So Jesus can't really even ask this woman for a drink since he doesn't have any bucket or glass to drink from. And he can't use hers. I mean, if he would use hers, that would be shocking. And she believes, being a Samaritan and understanding the score, that if he were to do that, he would become ceremonially unclean. And so she would never invite him to do these things because she knows it would engender criticism and shame and difficulty. And and she doesn't want to go there. Though, candidly, this is one of the things we love about Jesus. Nothing that Jesus touches renders him unclean. It works the other way around. Everything that Jesus touches is infected by his holiness because holiness overpowers sin every time. This whole conversation is based on group judgments. The view of the group is this. All Samaritans are despicable. All Samaritan women are unclean. All Jews are arrogant and judgmental. Every person assigned to their own group, all pigeonholed, everyone judged by generalities. But it seems like Jesus isn't buying any of it. Give me some water to drink. You, woman, Samaritan, from the other side of the tracks, please give me a cup of cold water. She responds, why do you? A Jewish man asked for anything from me. It's an honest question, but Jesus blows right by those questions. If you really knew who I was, he said, you would have asked first. You would have gotten your request in more quickly. And I would have granted your request. I would have given you this living water. Don't don't miss this part. If Jews didn't ask Samaritans for things, Samaritans don't ask Jews for things either. But Jesus is already willing to grant the request. You almost get a sense if you spend time with this passage that he's hoping the whole time that she will ask for this. Jesus is breaking down the walls as he speaks. Light is shining in. Barriers are being broken in every direction. The woman doesn't understand yet. How can the man ask these things? How can he do these things? Is he greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well to begin with? And so Jesus says it plainly to her. If you had asked, I would have given you living water, water on the inside of who you are that would spring up within you and lead to everlasting life. Everything would change. Everything would be New. And when I hear that kind of offer, I say, whoa, I'll have some of that. That's her response, isn't it? Sir, give me that water. I don't want to have to come down to this well every day and haul all the water back to my house. I mean, if I can avoid walking out here in the middle of the day in the sun, I... Well, she clearly doesn't understand. 
what Jesus is offering her. And so he goes a step further. The next step he takes is not a step of judgment. It's a step of clarification. Woman, call your husband. Ouch. I mean, that's why she's here in the middle of the day anyway, avoiding the normal time for drawing water. And he puts his finger right on the point of shame in her life. And everything in the conversation shifts at this moment. We read this, we think judgment, but Jesus isn't judging here. Jesus is saying this right out loud. I see you. I see you for exactly who you are. I know your pain. I know your struggle. I know why you are here at this well at this time of day, trying to avoid people, trying to hide from judgment. And the woman is shocked. She has been noticed. She has been seen. This guy knows everything about her and she hasn't said a thing. This guy is a prophet. Her mind jumps to the right conclusion very quickly. It's interesting to note that the Samaritans didn't embrace the Old Testament prophets after Moses. They believed that Moses was the great prophet and the next prophet, the second Moses to come, would be the Messiah. Okay, they just, they didn't recognize the rest of the Old Testament as Holy Scripture for them. And so the Samaritans are looking for Messiah and he will be the second Moses to come. And I wonder if maybe this woman is beginning to suspect that maybe she is standing next to this second Moses. That maybe this is the Messiah. We don't know what's in her mind. In any case, if this is the Messiah after all, she might as well ask the most burning theological question in the minds of all the Samaritans of that day. Where do you worship? Right? Because there's a couple of temples and, and, and where. Where do you worship? The temple theirs has been destroyed. They still go up to the high place on the mountain to worship. Where, where do you worship? Do we really have to walk all the way to Jerusalem to worship, she wonders. And Jesus says to her, God is seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. She says to him, well, I didn't quite understand that. But I know that when the Messiah comes, he'll explain it all to me and then I'll be able to figure it out. And then Jesus, looking straight at her, says, I am the one that you're looking for. I am that Messiah. Even though I stopped the reading there, as you know, the story doesn't end there. This woman, shocked by the encounter, shocked by the promises that Jesus makes, shocked by... The information that a trip to Jerusalem isn't necessary. Shocked, I think, most of all to actually having been seen by Jesus, noticed by Jesus. She reports the news to the neighbor. Think about this. She's now talking to all the people she's been avoiding, right? She's been hiding from these folks who have shamed her and judged her, and now she's seeking them out based on this encounter. And what is her testimony of this encounter? He told me everything I've ever done. That's her word. That's her testimony. She went to CR. 
She studied for a while. They made her write up her testimony. She thought about it. And this was her testimony. When she stood up at night, she said, he told me everything I've ever done. What does that mean? He saw me. Didn't judge me. There wasn't any shame involved in it. He, he, no, he broke down all those walls that kept me in prison for my entire life. He saw me. He spoke peace to me. He offered me living water. He told me who I was. And it was okay. He was still willing to invite me in. That's her report. He saw me. He stopped to talk to me. I gave him water. I assumed that she did. He knew everything about me. He was not offended by who I am. I think he must be the great prophet to come. And why does she believe? She believes because he saw her. Because he looked right at her. He didn't look past her. He broke down all the walls she was hiding behind. And he didn't shy away when the things she was hiding were revealed. I wonder this morning, do you need to be seen in order to get the help that you need to recover? Do you need to be seen? To lay down your shame, do you need to be seen? To understand that you are valuable, do you need to be seen? It also makes me wonder if there are folks who we need to see. Have you been looking past important people all your life? looking right past your spouse or looking right past a disappointing child or looking right past your parents, taking them for granted, or maybe you're just looking past the waiter or the bank teller or the car mechanic. Or if they can't give you something you need, do they matter at all to you? Do you take time to notice, to see? This woman has been seen by Jesus and it makes all the difference in the world. She was hiding, invisible, bound by shame, her life destroyed, and then Jesus noticed her, saw her, maybe even took this trip to find her for all we know. What about you? One of the word plays in this story is the fact that we're seated at Jacob's well, right? This is the well that Jacob gave on the land he gave to Joseph. It's an ancient well from hundreds of years ago. It's still hundreds of years ago. It's still productive. And Jesus is offering living water. And so you have two water sources here in the story, right? You have one water source, Jacob's well, that I think sort of represents the law. And it's a good source of water. It points us to moral living. It tells us and teaches us how to live in healthy ways in the land. It's a great gift from God. But it doesn't hold a candle to the living water that Christ wants to give us. 
something that cleanses us from within, something that brings us joy and life, something that can bubble over and out of us to everyone around us so that we can see others, so that we can be the vessels through which the living water flows to others. This is the water of great rejoicing. This is the water of freedom from sin. This is a loss of shame. This is all that Christ wants to do for us, this this living water that Christ wants to give us. This living water that Christ wants to give us invites us into an entirely new way of living. A life of meaning, of rich relationship, both with God and with one another. Think richness, fullness, joy. And so I'm I'm required to ask the question, from which well will you drink? Are you going to drink from Jacob's well and try to organize your life around moral principles and a legalistic drawing of yeses and nos and things to do and things to avoid? Are you going to drink from the well that Jesus offers, the living water that brings joy and richness and freedom and fullness and that bubbles out of us continually because of the spirit given to us? I would encourage you to step out of the shadows of your regular life. Drink deeply of the water that Jesus offers to all. Don't spend your life as an invisible wallflower thinking that no one sees you. Jesus sees you. Jesus has freedom for you. Jesus has life for you. And all of us who are his children, let us embrace the joy that Christ gives us and make it our mission to see those who are hidden, to see those who have not yet responded, who have not yet drunk from the water that Jesus offers. Take up your place in the kingdom of God as his child. And together, let's speak the joy that Christ has given us. I'm inviting the worship team to uh, lead us in a closing song. And while they do, I would invite you to consider the nature of the water you're drinking. From Jacob's well, from the well of Christ. And if you'd like to talk more about this, call me this week. Catch me after the service so that we can live in the fullness that Christ has for us. Would you stand with me while we sing? I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight it was my tomb till I met you I was breathing the night alive all my failures I tried to hide 
for Jesus Christ in this world now, it means this for us, that he shares the mission, the responsibility for calling names out loud to summon people into the kingdom of heaven. He shares that authority with you and I. And that's part of this joy erupting, this living water in us, that he can speak the names of those who are hidden, that are lost, who are buried in shame, and call them forth into new life. And so I say to you, speak the names that need healing. 
that you as ministers of Christ may call folks from the dead into his glorious light, that they may join you in eternal life. To the glory of God now and always. Amen.